0: Hi friends, welcome to God Stories. I am your host, Cassie, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. This is where I have on my friends, both new and old, to share their God Stories. From the big, aha, miraculous, life-changing moments to the ordinary, everyday moments that are oftentimes the very extraordinary, life-changing ones. My hope is that you're encouraged. My hope is that you're sometimes challenged. My hope is that you feel welcome and enjoy today's episode. Hey Ryan, welcome to God Stories.
1: (laughs) Hey, how are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for being on today. Yeah, thanks Um, for having me. I don't even know you. I've just met you once in person. If any of our listeners listened to Ty's episode a couple weeks ago, she talked about you a little bit at the end of her episode that she just likes to sit down with you and hear your God stories. Sure. And she uh, suggested that you you could be on. And so here you are. I'm really glad that you said yes. But will you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Sure. My name is Ryan Orban. Um, that's, it, it, Ty's got some amazing stories, too, so I'm kind of humbled that she'd even think of mine because she... God's brought her a long way. So my name's is Ryan Orban. Um, I'm husband to Rebecca, father to Eleanor, Scarlett, and Adeline. And uh, I run a community center here in Brookshire called the Hangar Uni- Unity Center. It's Brookshire, Texas, and part of a nonprofit called Eyes on Me.
0: Yeah, awesome. And you said you've been working out here for seven years, right?
1: I've been out in Brookshire for seven years.
0: And Hanger's been here for three.
1: Yep, we've been here for three.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. I was just um, hearing from one of the ladies that works here, Cassandra, and she was telling me more about what you guys do. And I feel like the two times I've been out here, i have just learning so much more about what you guys do, and it's really incredible. Um, But you're here today to kind of share your God story. Uh, and I know very little about it So I'm excited to learn more from you today But would you just kind of Just jump right in Tell us um, where you grew up And a bit about your life
1: You got it, you got it Yeah, I grew up on the southwest side of Houston, Texas uh, A-Leaf in Missouri City And I come from uh, My parents got divorced at a young age I was about one years old My mom moved from Louisiana here to Houston And, uh, and my dad kind of followed her but he wasn't very much in my life so my mom got remarried when I was young had a great stepdad we moved out we moved from a leaf out to Missouri City about middle school and uh, had a really good home suburban family um, you know we grew up in some poor parts growing up but my parents my mom and my stepdad they they really did the best they could and um, they're really great parents um, a little bit of a disciplinarians but I was I wasn't easy to rein in either so um,
0: and you lived out in A-Leaf all, all the way through high school and everything? Yeah, I in lived out
1: A-Leaf to ju- junior high, and then I moved out to Missouri City for junior high and high school. Okay. And so that's all southwest side, so yeah. I kind of – it's not the same, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's – I don't know. But, yeah, we did that, and, uh, you know, I come from a family of uh, football players. Football was uh, something I loved. I loved sports. Football kept me kind of kind of out of trouble. I was a highly intelligent kid, but very immature – and um could never find peace within myself seeing my mom and my real father always going at it child support this and that never he was never consistent when i was younger and it got to a certain point once i started to get older and um you know hit 10 11 12 13 that i just kind of backed off from even having a relationship with them cuz i just got tired of it and so i didn't realize that wounded me um But sports kind of kept me out of trouble. Sports kept me from getting real crazy. Did well in school, but I was always a behavior problem because school came very easily for me. Like I said, I was very immature. So when football ended my senior year, I decided to go away to college. And I went to Texas A&M for a year. And I really had no business going away to school. My maturity level couldn't handle it. And uh, so I got there and just kind of went crazy and was drinking smoking weed got kicked out after a year just because of my grades and i came back home and i'd been away for um you know a year not living by rules living how i wanted to live and so coming back into uh, a house with a younger brother and a younger sister and a mom and dad that were very much um laid out ground rules i didn't want to i did not want to listen so i just started wiling out and got kicked out you know a couple weeks after i got home wow and then um started getting into some heavy drug use. And so I always drank, smoked a little weed, and really quickly after I got kicked out, um, discovered ecstasy from a party and started hanging out with this group of people. And they were all good good kids, I would say. You know, they grew up similar circumstances. Some of them grew up in harder cases than we did, but a couple of them were just starting to um, sell a little bit to, uh, to kind of where they didn't have to pay for theirs, right? And so in a very short amount of time i went from this kind of suburban life to drinking smoking weed taking ecstasy multiple times a week and then these guys that i was hanging with that started selling them it got a little dry and they moved on to crystal meth and so i tried to fight it for a little bit not said no to it a couple times and then i just started doing it and so that really kind of sent me on a, a long journey were yep. you
0: living with with them with friends at this point? I,
1: I would hang out at their apartment. It was like our first friend that got an apartment. I was staying with my best friend for a little while. I lived with another family for a little while. Then I ended up getting my own apartment. All in those, all in that, you know, years time. I would say.
0: Okay, and so you. It started with a little bit. You started doing drugs more. Did, did you? Would you say you kind of got addicted to it early oh, on?
1: From Jump Street, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Even with alcohol, the first time I drank, I know I I knew it wasn't like everybody else drank, you know. And so, and so, anything I tried, I would always go above and beyond. Whether, you know, whether it was school, athletics, and drugs, we're all the same kind of thing. Wow, go over the top with everything. So,
0: and so, what about um, God? Was he anywhere in the picture for you in this? up until this point,
1: I, I like Jesus always rang true with me. Like. You know, I had a grandmother. It was my stepdad's mother. She's my nana. She's still alive. She's 90 years old. But she would always make us remember the 23rd Psalm. We had wow. to memorize it, the Lord's Prayer, you know, and she would, you know, but we would go to church, but it was always just the big holidays. My, my stepdad says his biggest regret is that he didn't raise us in the church like he was raised in the church. Wow. And so they kind of, you know, they sacrificed. We always had good family time, but my mom would sleep in on the weekends and he never really pushed the envelope and he just kind of let us do what we wanted to do. So we would go on the major holidays at my grandmother's request, but when we spent time with my nana, she would always like talk to us about the Lord, excuse me.
0: Aww.
1: she would always talk to us about the Lord, like I said, we'd get we get rewarded for memorizing those things, you know. And so she would she was very much um, the foundation in my life for a relationship with God, but I wasn't pursuing Him by any means, you know.
0: Yeah. So you kind of knew, you kind of believed, believed in Him, believed there was a God, but didn't really have that 100% intimate relationship. 100%. Yeah. Like
1: I said, it always just made it made sense to me, you know. I remember, I remember, you know, saying the Sinner's Prayer or whatever in my room when I was very young, but I mean, I didn't pay it no mind. You yeah. Know, you know, going forward, so right. never even like. No conviction, no, no um,
0: sanctification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just no.
1: Like... Yep. I just kind of thought it, it, it was what it was. I would, and I would talk about God a lot, but I I, I didn't know Him
0: mm-hmm. for sure. Everybody I, needs a nana. I love that about your nana that she did that.
1: Dude, my nana's a beast, man. She <laughs> is a beast, man. I, that lady has beat cancer twice. Wow. You know, she uh she lost a son to brain cancer. I had an uncle. That was like her It was her son-in-law But she loved him She won't tell you this But she loved him More than her her, her kids Wow He was murdered In the line of duty He was a Bel Air police officer um, She got cancer once In her 60s And she got it A few years ago And they said You know Miss Dobbs You know we will uh, Most people your age She was 87 Most people your age We wouldn't even offer this But you don't even Take any medication Except for your Your cataract She goes They go uh, The doctor said If you want to do chemo You know I'll sign off of it. And she goes Oh no heaven Heaven's no child Wow. She was just like God healed me 18 years ago of cancer. If he wants me around, he'll heal me again. Wow. No cancer.
0: Wow. Got, you know, oh my god. Well, so
1: a year and a half later, no cancer, Praise 90 the Lord. years old and and still going strong. Wow. Yep. Praise the
0: Lord. What a testimony. Yeah. So, okay. So, bring us back to that point. How old were you? You're were like early 20s when you started doing crystal meth.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. 19, 18, 19 years old. Okay. And, and then
0: what happened for you after man, that?
1: Let me tell you. So, in about a six-week period, when I started using, and I dropped about 40 pounds, my be, he ended up being one of my best friends. But he moved into my apartment. He was like selling a little bit, and it very quickly went to from a little to a lot. We went from partying all the time, chasing girls, doing drugs, to guns in the house and all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And stuff that I like you would see in a movie, kind of. Mm-hmm. And um, and my drug use just went through the roof, and my whole life centered around that. For, for several years. I had a couple friends get murdered, you know. Uh, I had a friend that got kidnapped over a $1,000, he owed, tortured, turned, took out to Needville, made him dig his own grave, and, you know, they shot him three times. He died? I, oh, yeah. Wow. And it was just, it was very surreal in the moment, you know. It was very surreal in the moment. But the drugs were fueling everything, and so...
0: So that's how you processed all of this, is you would just take more drugs? Oh,
1: 100%, 100%.
0: And kind of numb out.
1: Yep, yep, and, like... You just—that's all you thought about. You know, you just kind of thought about it. You get really deceived. Your mind really gets ate up, and and um, you just kind of keep on moving. You know, you don't take time to grieve. You don't take time to do any of that stuff. You just, all right, on to the next fix. And so, you know, like I said, it's nothing I vision for myself by any means, and it's not how my mom and my stepdad raised me. You know, even though I was a behavior issue to a certain degree, I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I never like purposely did people wrong or anything like that but now all of a sudden there's all these guns all these drugs and our whole life is centered around this my best friend that was living with me he got arrested two different times but he was making so much money that he could pay a good attorney and he beat the charges well i didn't know this at the time but it had kind of tipped off a federal investigation and so they were being investigated we were being investigated i had no clue and so i think it was 2002 early 2002 i get pulled over in my car one day and i had a quarter pound of ice i was holding for him in my trunk and i had eight grand under my seat
0: which is crystal meth crystal I, meth okay. yep
1: yep it's just like a more purified form of it and so this is in my car the cop pulls me over and i'm like man if he searches my car i'm i'm, I'm going to i'm going to um tdc so he doesn't search my car he wrote six tickets he let me go and um I thought i was just kind of lucky i guess but i was scared after that happened i said man that was a close call and so i was in the recruiter's office pretty much the next day and i said man i got to get out of town i got i got to change something right so I i moved in with my nana you know i had just cleaned up she put me in a camper she used to do my alcoholic grandfather too uh, she had a camper in the backyard when he'd fall off the wagon and she'd put him she'd in there, put him out there until he'd dry out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back You know, when he, when he lost his son from brain cancer. He was a World War II hero. He kind of just had some demons he couldn't quite get free wow. of. No, he's a good man, but that alcoholism really, really owned it. So very similar to my papa, she put me in the camper and I started going to the recruiter. And I stopped using drugs for a brief time. I was still drinking, but I signed up for the Air Force. And, wow. um,
0: Wait, I have to pause you right there. How did you just stop cold turkey you I, just you wanted to stop that bad cuz it scared you that bad
1: pretty much cut all ties to everything and just kind of detoxed in that in that camper and knew, no one knew where i was you Wow. know and so it was just kind of like a that battle you know the battle of crystal meth is not so much a physical addiction it's a it's it's a mental sh- stronghold really? right it doesn't create a physical tolerance mm-hmm. but it makes your mind think you have to have it so i pretty much i pretty much just locked myself away um and didn't have any contact with outside sources you know we didn't have smartphones yeah you know what i mean you had to (laughs) work to
0: yeah to talk to people mm -hmm. and stuff so you just wanted it that bad to to be free
1: mentally basically i just didn't want to go to prison okay to tell you the truth yeah it was too close a call and Mm -hmm. with i had a friend in a wheelchair i had my friend Sonny that got murdered it was just all those things kind of happened and i was just like man like I just kind of took it as an opportunity. I had a, my uncle. I told you was a Bel Air police officer. He really walked me through that whole process. Really? He walked me through all my court dates for those tickets that the, that the cop wrote. He wrote me six tickets that day and didn't search my car, or let me go. Walked me through that. Took me to the recruiter. Actually, my my uncle. It, it was really a divine appointment. Um, he's always been like my guardian angel. He was always like my guardian angel. He actually got falsely accused of something in his work. He's officer of the year in the city of Houston, um, greater Houston area, two different times. And some guys got in trouble on this drug task force he was on. And he got thrown in the investigation. So they ended up going to prison for what they did wrong. But my, while they were investigating, my uncle was not allowed to work. And so for six months, for six months, he um, took me to everything I needed to go to. And he wow. still got a paycheck, but he wasn't on his beat. And um,
0: so you were able to be honest with your family, with your uncle and your Nana, With my
1: uncle, for sure. My Nana, yeah. for sure. Wow. 100%. And you got
0: support there. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: They never, and they were not blood, you know, it was my stepdad's yeah. brother-in-law and it was my stepdad's mother. You wow. Know?
0: And, That's amazing. I feel like everybody needs that love. If we really want to see change in people, you know, if we really want to help people out, we have to be willing to just accept them and love them. It's kind of like the prodigal son, that story, right? The father just welcoming in his son and doesn't matter what he's done.
1: Yeah. That's incredible. I could tell you a million stories. My uncle, I I left for the Air Force August 7th, 2003. And I think that was right, 2002. August 7th, 2002. And I told you he had got murdered uh, about, uh, about eight years ago. But I was in his office one day after he got murdered um, in the line of duty, right? Um, And I felt this urge to open up his desk. And I opened up his desk, and right there on top of the desk, he had already passed on. There was his paperwork from that investigation that I was telling you about when I had to go to the Air Force. And it was the acquittal paperwork where they threw out everything. Like, I told you those other guys went to prison. My uncle got to go back to work. And I looked at the date that the judge signed the paper, and it was the day I left for the Air Force. Wow. So really, God had him not working, not working for those entire do- time for me to go to the Air Force. The day I left, he got to go back to work.
0: Wow. And
1: I'd say all that to say six weeks. I went to basic training for six weeks, maybe three months afterwards, I was in tech school. And I got a phone call from my best friend's girlfriend, and DEA had kicked in twenty-three of my friend's doors in one day. Wow! And they found a ton of dope, and everybody went to the federal penitentiary for for ten plus years. Wow! And so
0: I have goosebumps right now.
1: Man, I'm telling you, who's my guardian angel? Like, you know, biblically, I can't make a case for that, but I know God had him (laughs) in my life. Used him for sure. And so that would have been you. It would have been me. Mm -hmm. It was. I was living with the guy for two years, and there was twenty-two other. I knew them all you know, and I was, they were in my daily life. That's what we were a part of. Yeah. So it was only like, I don't know. It was pretty crazy.
0: Wow. So Nana letting you kind of detox in the trailer. Yeah. And then your uncle doing all of that for you and just helping you out with court cases and everything. Did he help you get kind of the process with the Air Force as well?
1: Yep, Yep. Yeah. So I joined the Air Force and I get, you know, that happens when I'm at tech school learning my job. I get stationed over in Germany. And those two years, I was really hard in the streets. My mom and I's relationship was very strained, right? But once I decided to go to the Air Force, like we started to have a better relationship again. So I get stationed in Germany, and three days after I get there, my mom calls me and lets me know. She's like, Ron, you know, I got cancer. Wow. And so it was great that I was away from all that stuff, but the real change hadn't happened that needed to happen, and that was in my heart. And when life hits you five or six times in your life, you're just going to be floored by it. Tragedy, right, Mm -hmm. in your life. And if you don't have a relationship with God or you don't know how to handle those things, you're always going to revert back to what you know. And so my mom tells me, first of all, my mom loved me enough to wait to tell me that she had cancer until after I was overseas, right? She knew already. And she knew if I wouldn't have been gone, that I probably would have stayed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's how much my mom loved me. You know what I'm saying? And so... And so, but I didn't know how to deal with stuff, and I'm in Germany, and I'm like, I don't care what continent I'm on, and if I don't want to feel hurt, I'm going to find something to fill it, and I knew how to find drugs. So, I found it over in Germany. They made 80% of the world's ecstasy at the time in Belgium. Found it for very, very, very cheap. Started giving it to my friends, taking it, and ended up uh, getting kicked out of the Air Force. Went to military prison for distribution and use of cocaine and ecstasy not for a very long time, 5 6 months. In um, Germany? In Germany, Mannheim, Mannheim prison in Germany. And my mom had died in that time too. So so um did she know? No, that that investigation actually started after she passed away. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she never, you know, she didn't know any of that.
0: Are you grateful for that?
1: I was very grateful. Like, I was so grateful when my mom passed away. I really stopped messing with drugs for sure. Sh- I still drank like crazy. People <laughs> would tell you I drank more than e- anybody they ever see saw back then. Like, And this was guys that worked on airplanes that all they did was party. And I would just put them all to shame. And it was really scary because I know what the nights that I weren't drinking, I'd have sweats. I wouldn't be able to sleep. But, like, when you're out there every day, that's all you did, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I would drink, and then I would do drugs. So... When my mom passed away, I really kind of quit cold turkey the drugs, but it was too late. A couple of the guys that I already been like giving stuff to, they ended up getting in trouble with the Office of Special Investigations and they kind of, they snitched on me. Yeah. Told, you know, and so I, for those six months, I was almost a, almost a whole year I was under investigation. I didn't mess with drugs. Even before I was under investigation, I didn't mess with drugs, but it was kind of too late. In the Air Force, it's a little bit different, like you're kind of property of the government. Evidentiary rules aren't aren't quite the same. If you and me go say that guy's doing something, you know, if they have enough witnesses, it's kind of like, you know. But they had some mercy on me. They knew my mom passed away. I was a really great airman on duty. I mean, everybody loved me. Um, I was a great worker. It was just off duty. I was always just trying to, you know. Not feel, I guess, you know, mm-hmm.
0: so you were in prison there for six months, mm-hmm. and then what happened to you?
1: Well, uh, again, I got scared straight. I came home, you know, wasn't talking to my real father. like
0: can I just say I didn't know that when you get put into prison, as a United States citizen, when you're in the military, that they don't—I thought they brought you back here for prison. I didn't realize you. would be a, in prison in Germany.
1: Yeah, it's a mili- it's a U.S. Mili- military installation, but it is a prison. I didn't know they had Germany. that. Wow. Just like they have bases, right. they have Prisons over there too. Wow. And so. Uh,
0: so yeah, what happened then? After, like, in prison or after prison? Yeah,
1: in prison wasn't no big deal. I mean, it, uh, you know. It, it was just confide confided time you, know? you couldn't
0: drink you couldn't do drugs then Mm-mm. so you're kind of detoxing like you were in the trailer again yep,
1: yep i was i was just really kind of with my own thoughts you know wasn't reading the bible wasn't pursuing god you would this any of those things just kind of waiting my time out and um, were you
0: trying to deal with your mom's death at that point as well
1: a little bit a little bit um i was more i didn't tell my stepdad what was going on the whole year i was under investigation because i didn't want to disappoint him and my mom had just died and so i just ate it all internally wow like the whole time i was under investigation they took me off the jets and i was just a, a torment like tormented thing and so i'd been in jail i'd been in the military prison for about a month and they said you need to call your stepdad and so he hadn't heard from me i was just totally running from the reality what was happening and um so I called him and he was like, Ryan, what is going on? I mean, he didn't know I was in prison or nothing. He goes, What is going on? And this man raised me. My stepdad raised me since I was three years old. I and mean, he is my father to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He raised me since I was three. And um I just I just was ashamed, you know? And um and uh, I said, he goes, I thought we were done with this, Ryan, you know, the drugs. And I just said, Me too, Randy. And um he goes, When you you know, when you get out, I told him and he goes, All right, just come on home. And I just started bawling like Cause I don't know why in my head, like he raised me since I was little and he always treated me like his own. I mean, him and my mom had a, another son and a daughter, but I was, I was never an outcast with them. I might've felt like that, but I was never, the love I received was never like that. My stepdad loved me greatly and I knew that, but I just kind of feel like with my mom, in my head, I kind of believed a lie that like with my mom gone, he would just kind of kick me to the curb or whatever, wow. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I came home and, uh, I worked nights kind of stay out of trouble i work nights and i went to school i rode my bike to work every night and i started going to college i got my degree in like two and a half years wow and um just kind of scared straight and stayed busy and i did all the right things to check all the little boxes and and but i was just miserable the whole time i was miserable when i was around people that were drinking or partying if i if i had idle time i was just I don't know. They call it a dry drunken recovery, but like I was just miserable. I always wished I was getting high or drunk or, anything, you know. Because so, you didn't
0: have that internal peace.
1: I didn't have an internal peace. You know, it was just always, circums- I was always a slave to my circumstances. So, oh, yeah, you're getting a house. Okay. you Here's this, you know, I, I, I was married for a short time and we bought a house, remodeled it. Oh, we're getting promoted to work. You know, I was doing all these checkbox things, but, I, but really I was eating painkillers uh, by the handful that I got from a bunch of different sources i started doing those about a year or two into it and i started eating adderalls while i was going to college and working 60 80 hours weeks and but i could kind of keep the whole house of cards together in this time so i wasn't drinking and i wasn't doing hard drugs but i was taking other people's adderall so i could get my research paper done i was taking painkillers so i could and i could operate but still feel a little bit you know
0: fill that void yep yeah
1: and so I got real bad on the painkillers. It cost me a marriage because um, it was really like a whole deception of me being on them. And see, meth I never had to pay for. Meth I never had to pay for because my friends sold it like in large quantities. But the the painkillers I was uh, I would take them out of your medicine cabinet. You know I never stole from people, but I'd steal your meds. You know. Um, and then. Um, I would go to pill mills, Houston's famous for them. You could go to crooked docs. You could go, you could go to, um, independent pharmacies and, and kind of make, make all this happen. So I was eating about 25 Lord tabs a day and they were just eating my lunch. I was maxing out credit cards, cash advances. I would, you know, borrow money pawn this, that, like they were eating my lunch, like, all the material things were going away and so what I did was I really got back on the meth at that point hardcore cuz I couldn't kick the pills like I w- man it was like when I didn't have them I'd feel like I would want to die you know um
0: How old were you at this point Shoot
1: 30
0: 30 31 32 33 So you're early 30s at this point
1: Late 20s early 30s
0: you are divorced.
1: Mm, divorced. Living
0: in Houston again. Mm-hmm. Living uh, with my best
1: friend who was straight edge. I rented a room from him, 400 a month. Had, always had gainful employment, was never unemployed.
0: And but, you're back to meth.
1: Yeah, back to meth. I'd go smoke I'd go smoke every day at lunch um, at my friend's house, my dealer's house. And, um, and I was just staying up for days. Did go, your
0: stepdad know you were doing that again?
1: N- well, not right away. Okay. Not right away.
0: So, so what was that doing to you, like mentally? Were you ever thinking, like, were you ever upset that you were back to that life again?
1: A hundred percent. But I'm telling you, what this time, what really happened with with it was, is the meth really spurred on a whole another thing of like sexual morality that I like. I'd always been promiscuous, but it would almost be like fueled. Like I would always be searching for someone to have relations with or whatever and so that was a whole new like caveat that added to it so so i would kind of keep myself consumed with that because i never had to search for the drugs. so i guess i would search for women or whatever mm-hmm. you know and so i had i had easy access to them so um there's this one girl that i worked with and she was a doctor i worked for a pediatric home health care company i worked in their business department and um and uh we, we moved in together, and, and we were smoking dope every day, and she was real smart. She had three kids, and I told you that was this was all about the time that I moved out of my best friend's house, moved in with her, and then my uncle gets murdered in the line of duty on Christmas Eve morning on a traffic stop go wrong. And then all that is this darkness kind of just started kind of trying to swallow me up, and I started hearing voices real bad, you know? And I was trying to check all the boxes, but I'm smoking ice every day. So I'm trying to help her raise these three kids, but we're partying every night. We're not getting any sleep, and I'm just trying to, you know, hold a job. I end up quitting that, stayed home. And um, she's kind of bankrolling everything because she was making good money. But, I mean, she was getting high with me. And then it was like a bad movie, like Fatal Attraction. Like we were calling, you know, like – I found out there was some unfaithfulness and so that trust got robbed and this was a real recent relationship so it's not like we've known each other for a long time so everything happened very quickly and so um i got a letter from my stepdad one day that just said you know ryan like i've seen some things happen over the past year i don't agree with you know and and um he just goes, I, I don't agree with the the choices you're making. You know, he's seen it all before. So he just said, uh, you know, unless it's a holiday and you're personally invited over to the house, you're not welcome at my house. You know, my whole other family, they all started um, making those decisions. I had a key to everybody's house, this and that. And, you know, I guess they could all see it. Like them drug, the meth really would start eating me up, you know. And, um, and so gave all their key. They'd make excuses to get the key back. Oh, I'm having the house worked on, this and that and the other. And so... The girl I was living with, she was just like, oh, they don't like me. And I said, no, my family's not stupid. They've seen all this before, you know? That just, it has nothing to do with you, really. They just know what's up. So all that happened got real dark. And I told you, I always had a belief in God. Well, I started pe- watching some stuff that really made me question the existence of God. And then I had all this stuff happen with my uncle getting murdered. and He was just like the best man I ever knew. And, and so I started really feeding that in my head that God didn't exist. I started hearing voices real bad. Um, me and the girl would fight all the time, and it was like I would leave for a day or so, and it would be like a magnet would pull me back to that house. And so um, I was hearing real voices, starting to hear voices, starting to hear things a little bit. Starting audible to, voices? Audible voices, um, just kind of shame shame voices, and then I would like kind of see stuff. And I still don't know in some of those things what was reality and what was not because it was getting real bad. And then I, I just know seven years ago, I had I had been gone for a day or two and I came back for a day and we started fighting and arguing. And I heard a, a loud audible voice and the audible voice said, get out of this house now. And if you heard the voice that I heard, I dropped every, I had no choice. I dropped everything and I left. So I had a rental car. And so basically I left, took the car, I called my aunt and I'm thinking people are chasing after me, my uncle's wife. And I'm just like this and that and the other. And she's trying to talk me off, you know, pretty much talk me off a ledge, but can tell I'm not in my right mind. And and um, and um I call my best friend, Bobby, who, I, you know, has been the best man at my wedding, been my best friend since probably sixth grade, seventh grade. And and I've lived with him several times. And I'm like, Bobby, like, I'm on my way to your house. I need, you know, this and that. And, he was, and he's like, Ryan, I'm not home. He's like, I'm not home. So everybody's drawing these boundaries with me. I don't realize that's what's happening. But I said, I'm on my way over there. And so I get to this HEB parking lot and I ditch, I ditch the rental car and I run over to Bobby's house, barefooted, three miles. I ditch my cell phone. I ditch my keys. I'm really thinking people ditch my drugs. I'm thinking people are chasing after me that weren't really there. And I get to Bobby's house and no one's there. And he's got a, a old pickup truck that sits in the driveway. And and um it's not the car he drives normally and nobody'll answer the door and so I open the front door of this pickup truck and I sit in the truck and I'm just kinda spazzing out in my head like what is going on? I'm freaking out and I have this sense to like, hey, turn the ignition on the truck. Just to, like a thought I had. There's no key in it, and I turn the ignition to the truck and the truck starts. Wow. And I was like in my head I I, I don't know, but it made sense to me then, like, take the car. So I took the I took the I took the truck long story short i I stole that truck took it over to my dealer's house tried to get him to help me and he was just kind of like ryan you need to go in the other room and take a nap this is the guy i get my dope from he's like here take a take a xanax and you need to go to sleep and i'm like man i'm not doing that and he's like you're about to go to jail you stole bobby's truck and i'm like man i called bobby and bobby came and got the truck and and uh i left my dealer's house that morning and over the next 12 hours i was walking through the streets of houston still thinking people were chasing after me and um and i called my cousin my uncle's son and i just said danny like my feet hurt my feet hurt and he goes ryan you need to go check yourself into bentaw bro like you need to go to the psych ward is pretty much what he's saying and i'm like huh like no like danny just come get me danny my feet hurt my feet hurt and he goes where are you at? And I told him, and I said, and he said, okay. And I get to the next gas station, and I called him again, and I said, Danny, come get me. And he's like, Ryan, I'm not coming to get you, Ryan. He said, I'm not coming to get you. And so, um, and so he, uh, I said, okay, um, I'm going to go to Randy's Bank. My stepdad's a banker. And uh, I was over there kind of by Bel Air. That's where he's a banker at. And so I'm walking on Holcomb, it turns into Bel Air. And I cross under the bridge, and this kind of gets a little odd. Um, I cross under the bridge, and I don't know what's reality, and I believe there's a spiritual realm. And the, the more t- more I go back through this, that's kind of think of where I'm in and out of sanity, but I think there's a spiritual realm too. So um, I'm walking under the freeway, and right then a limo comes, and it pulls right into the parking lot of this building right where I'm walking by, and it stops right in front of me. And this black limo has it had one m- motorcycle cop, and it, and it was leading him like a procession mm-hmm. or something, right? Right. And so the back door of the limo opens, and this guy gets out of the back of the limo, like right in front of me. And he's a handsome dude, like handsome guy, like blonde hair. And he was wearing like a like a three-quarter-inch trench coat, overcoat, like a suit, like you would see a Wall Street stockbroker wear or whatever. And this is like late September. And, uh, and he looks at me, and he goes, He goes, uh, how are you doing today? And I just, I just uh, looked down at the ground. I said I'm okay, and I walk right by him. But I just thought it was real random. Like this thing was real random. It was totally out of the ordinary. And I walk to my dad's bank, and I guess my cousin probably told him I was on his way there. It was getting close to closing time, five or six o'clock at night on a Friday. And and um, I said Randy. He sits me down in the office, and he said I said Randy, I said um, my feet hurt. I said, my feet hurt. And I said, Randy, there's just so much evil in this world. And he's like, Ryan, like, you're tripping, man. Like, you know, he was just kind of talking to me. And and I said, he's like, what do you want me to do, Ryan? You cannot come to my house. You can't do anything. And I said, I have another sister from my dad's, from my real dad's first marriage. And I always felt real close. I guess now that I look back at it, I always felt real close to God through her. They're missionaries. They actually work at an orphanage now in Arizona. And I said, man, try to get a hold of my sister. Try to get a hold of my sister. And he's like, I don't have her number. He goes, goes, look, here's what I'll do. He goes, I'll pay for you to have a hotel room for one night, and I'll get on Facebook, and I'll try to find your sister, and I'll see if there's a way that you can, you know, we can get you out to her or something. And I said, okay. And he goes, all right. We get in the Suburban, his Suburban, and he drives me over to this Motel 6. And it's one of those things that, like, We get to Motel 6 and right when my mind is noticing all these weird things in the midst of all this psychosis, chaos, whatever's going on. But things are sticking out in my head like the limo and the guy and there's so many and like turning on the truck, you know, like all that is just stuff that was highlighted in this whole midst of all this. So we get to the Motel 6 right by Reliant Stadium and there's an old beat up pickup truck over here and it's got it says OCS on the side of the truck. It says we get them home safe. And there's like a handyman that gets out of the truck and walks to the hotel with like a tool bag and everything. And my stepdad says, "Look, I'm going to go inside get your room. You stay right here in the truck." And I said, "Okay." And I just noticed that guy. Well, while I'm waiting for my dad, that guy walked to the building. I don't know what he did, and he walked out, and then I see the truck pull off. My stepdad co- comes out a couple minutes later, and he said, "All right." He goes, he goes, "Here's the key to the room. It's room 222." And he goes, and I said, Randy, my feet hurt. My feet hurt. And he goes, all right, Ryan, here's what you need to do. When you get in that hotel room, you need to take your shoes off. And he goes, you need to go turn on the sink and run hot water. You need to get up on the counter and you need to soak your feet. And he's talking real slow and deliberate. And I'm just like, okay, okay, that's what I'll do. And he said, after that, you just need to take a long hot shower and then you need to try to lay down and go to sleep, you know? And I said, okay, Randy, I'll do that. And then he goes, Randy, I mean, he goes, Ryan, he goes, I'm going to tell you one thing. he goes, you know, you have to give me your word as a man that you're not going to trash this hotel room. And I said, "Uh," I said, okay, you got my word. He hands me the key. I go up to room 222. I try to do exactly what my stepdad says. I took off my shoes. I go, I go to the sink and it's a countertop, just a countertop, no cabinetry or nothing. And I turn on the water. And right when I turn on the water, the pipes burst from the floor under the sink and started shooting water all over this hotel room. I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) I can't can't make this up. (laughs) And I'm like, what is going on? And I fall to my knees and I look up under the sink at the countertop. I don't know what made me look there, but I looked. And there's numbers written on the under the sink. And they're like 111, 118, 42, 8. And in my head, this is the thought I have. I said, those look like Bible scriptures. Wow. That's the thought I had. Yeah. And this water shooting everywhere. And I'm just like, okay, I'm in a hotel room. That what? you
0: just promised your <laughs> yeah, stepdad w- that you wouldn't trust. Right.
1: And then then this happens and then I have the thought, Well, there's there's a Bible in every hotel room. Yeah. Right? So you go open so the drawer? I go open the drawer and there's no Bible. Mm. And I just lost it. Wow. And I just said, what is going on? Like, every hotel's got a buy. I don't know in my <laughs> head. This is what I'm thinking. So I just freaked out, man. I feel like the TV was talking to me, like it was trying to communicate with me, like something. I don't know. But I trekked the TV. I pull- I went to the bathroom. I pulled the shower head down. And I just started, and I pulled the toilet from the floor. And like, and like, if you ever seen Boo Doc Saints when he do this? Exactly oh, what I yeah. did. I pulled the toilet from the floor, and I just totally trashed this wow. hotel room. Because I was just skitzed and I just said, I just had this thought, I got to go. I got to go. And so I just kind of spooked and I left the hotel room and I walked from the front and I walked around the back of the hotel and I come around the front like, and I'm barefooted and there's this man that walks to me and he comes at me and he's wearing all white and he's got a beard and he's got a bandage on his face. And my uncle, like, this guy was, you know, skinny, like healthy. My uncle was very overweight. The one I told you was like my guardian angel. But if this was like, I don't know, when I saw this guy, my uncle got shot in the face. When I saw this guy, I just kind of had a, 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 like, I was okay. And the guy asked me the same question the dude in the limo said. He was, how are you doing today? Wow. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be all right. Just a random thing. I just said it. And I walked past him and it was, I don't know why I didn't stop and engage, but I, I walked past him, and then I walked to this next guy, and and I asked for help, and he's like, get out of here, and I said, okay, and then I turned around, and right when I turned around, there's a car right in front of me, and it's an 01 Gold Honda Accord, and the reason I know that is because I used to own a Gold 01 Honda Accord, so it looked like It was familiar to me Mm -hmm. so i'm in the middle of this skits out so i have this thought get in the car so i'm in this car because it's the only thing that feels like i don't know in the middle of it it made sense to me like it felt
0: like home like home Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah so i get in the car and i'm thinking like what's going on what's going on and i'm and some guy walks up to the car and he's like he goes uh is this your car and i said no and and um right then i see the police like a, i don't it seemed like right then i see the police pull up and uh and i noticed something about the police right when they pull up i looked at their badges it stuck out and they had like a gold badge that was like a shield hpd but if i know i've been around it a lot of hpd they don't have gold badges they have silver badges and they're they're not shaped like a dime and they're shaped more like square and they have their big badge numbers across them with big numbers and I said, those don't look like HPD badges. This is the thought I had. So they opened the car door, and I charge the police. I run at them. And they pulled out the taser, and they tased me. And they, they, they tackled me. And um, I'm yelling and screaming. And I'm like, and then I'm like, they pulled me up and leaned me up against the side of the car. And I was handcuffed. And I had a white T-shirt on. And they put sunglasses on my face. These cops, did. they put sunglasses on my face. And they pulled my shirt up over my head. And I'm leaning with my back against the squad car. And right when they pulled, had sunglasses on my face, they pulled the shirt over my head. I felt a hand come out and touch me on my chest. And right then I felt like someone dumped a whole bathtub full of water on me. And I felt this, like, peace come on me. This hand touched me on my chest. And they rolled me over on my stomach on the squad car, and I'm leaned up against it fit on my stomach. And they ask me, they go, "Do you know who that was?" And I said, "I don't know." And they throw me in the back of the cop car, and they take me to um, Harris County Jail. And I tried to, when they got me there, I tried to run. They, so this
0: all legit happened. This, this is all, not you this is, no. freaking out. This is legit.
1: This hundred yeah. percent happened. Yeah. Hundred percent happened. So I tried to run. Rubble. And they
0: didn't tell you who that was?
1: Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. But I just know I went. I was completely soaking wet, and I felt peace, and I felt this little hand. Wow. And so. So
0: you tried to run when you got to? I
1: tried to run when I got to when I got to the jail, and um, they tackled me again and stripped me of my clothes down to my underwear and they took me into the holding tank and put me in a paper suit it's almost like a paper towel like they put me they cover me up basically real light and so i'm in this paper this paper suit in the holding tank with all these guys in here and again i tell you my mind is noticing stuff right yeah and there's this little white dude sitting in the corner of the holding tank there's probably 40 or 50 guys in this holding tank and he's sitting there, and he's got an apple in his hand. And I'm hearing, and, and he's eating this apple. And he's sitting there, and, and I'm hearing these voices like, "You're, you always screw up. You're Mom. never any good." And I'm hearing all these shame, this sh- like, and these voices are like people I know. Like, Mom. and I'm hearing these voices, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's got this apple, and he's eating this apple, and he's like looking at me, and he's like like i don't know shaking his fist at me like encouragement like like come on like come on he's shaking his fist at me and he's just like come on and and i just felt this overwhelming sense to fall to my knees and i just started crying out to god right in the middle of this holding tank with every single last bit of stuff i had in me and i'm just like i turned my back on god i turned my back on my family and i'm just like literally like legit repenting i didn't know that's what it was but i'm just like crying out just crying out and that's all i remember and they took me to a med unit and
0: I, which is amazing because you remembered so much i know from the hours before that yeah yeah so for I, you to say that's all you remembered
1: well i'm for four days i was like asleep right they, they put me on a med floor and i and i remember sleep and i remember waking up once or twice and there was a guy in there and but i slept for like four days yeah and then after that four days they put me in a tank on a med unit with 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 um with guys and and um right when i get to that unit i walk in there and this guy covered it head to toe in tattoos starts, comes up and starts t- trying to tell me about Jesus. Wow. And I, I just took a four-day nap. I'm like, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. Like, I'm going to try to get out of here, this and that. No, the they didn't charge me with any felonies. They charged me with burglary of a motor vehicle and evading on foot. Both could have been felonies, but they weren't. So I'm in this jail for 23 days, and my dealer robs my house while, while I'm in jail. My sanity is gone. My clothes are gone. My possessions are gone. The girl won't take my phone calls no more. My bond is $2,000. So I need to find someone to pay 10% to get me out. $200. Nobody will do it. None of my family, the girl. I mean, I'm just trapped in there for 23 days. And it's like this battle is going on for my soul the entire time. It's like dark. I was seeing everything in dark, light. Everybody I felt was put there for me in and out of sanity and nobody will take my phone calls and i'm just like man what do i do so i started listening to dude sanchez he's just saying little things and I, I started reading my bible a little bit
0: that's the guy that was telling you about jesus uh-huh.
1: so i started listening to what he had to say and he said something that made me get in the book of titus and i couldn't stop reading the book of titus for like three days straight and it's just like one or two pages long talks about like what a man of god is really and i just oh. couldn't stop reading it and so my court date's coming up, and I knew I'm probably going to get time served or probation or something, and I just start talking to Sanchez. I said, Sanchez, like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm going to be homeless. Nobody will take my phone calls, you know. And Sanchez starts talking to me like he knew me my whole life. And he says, uh, "He says, uh, Ryan, the Lord Jesus has always looked out for you. He goes, you never missed a meal. You've always had a roof over your head. Opens the Bible to Matthew 6:33. Says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things shall be added." He says, "He just wants you to read. Re- he wants you to believe this one scripture right now. He just wants you to put your faith in this one scripture. He's got to figure it figured out already." And I said, "You know what, Sanchez? I'm gonna believe it." And so, the next morning, I go to court, and you go from Harris County Jail underground to the courthouse, and you're in this holding tank underground. And I got a little pocket, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs I've been reading the whole time I'm in there. And so I'm sitting in this holding tank waiting to go see the judge. And um, there's these people sitting across from me. And there's a, there's, you know, it's pretty racially divided in jail. So I'm over here and over here are these black guys. And there's this dark-skinned guy, but he's not black. He's not African-American, but he's sitting across from me, but he's darker-skinned. And... Um, he's got tattoos on his arms kind of bronze skin and and i'm just kind of like man like my, my my eyes keep getting being drawn to him and he's talking and i'm like minding my own business and he starts talking he says i watch a lot of youtube a lot of youtube and then he started talking about the middle east so i had been minding my own business and i said um i stopped and i just looked up and i said hey i don't mean to be rude but you look like you could be from there the Middle East. And, and he just started laughing. He thought it was funny. Like, I just thought it was weird. I'm like, wow, well, that's not funny. Like, and he's just laughing. So I paid it no mind. I agreed, uh, talked to my public defender. I was going to take two years probation and outpatient treatment, which means like AA, AA program. And so they take me over there to sign over to the court. And I'm going to sign for this. And so they take me in front of the judge. And I'm about to sign for this. But I still didn't know where I was going to go. I did AA means before. I did all that. So I'm standing in front of this judge. And I'm about to greet all this. And I hear in the back of the courtroom, I hear, your honor, your honor, your honor. And I look back. And my real father is in the courtroom who hadn't been in my life in like 21 years. The last, thing, last time I talked to him was eight years earlier. And I told him every dirty thing I thought about him. You know, I wow. hated this man. And here's this guy that was like the object of my hatred. and I'm like, what is this dude doing here?" And so he goes, "Your honor." He goes, um, he goes, I'm Ryan's father and I haven't been in his life you know for much of his life and but I heard he was in some trouble. Do you mind if I be uh, um, and I think I could be of some help? Do you mind if I come forward? judge says of course it's good to have dads involved in their lives so here comes this dude my dad standing right next to me i don't even know what to make of the whole situation and he's standing around me and i I don't know like how to react just kind of fuming like what is going on and he goes your honor he goes i think i know how to help my son he goes there's this place in brookshire texas it's called the manna house he goes, it's run by members of the Titus community. And soon as he said Titus, it was like a light switch got flipped on in my heart. And I just like knew that God was real. I knew that whatever Sanchez was telling me that he had it all figured out. And I just start bawling in the courtroom. I knew I was going to have a place to go. I knew I was going to be, I wasn't going to be homeless. And, and so I'm just bawling. And and my dad looks at me and he goes, do you know somebody associated with them? I said, I don't have a clue, but I just knew God was real in my mind. That's what I'm thinking. And so the judge says, you know, I can't make you go there. You don't have any drug charges. But if you want to go of your own free will, you know, free will is a good thing. You know what I'm saying? He goes, I'll sign off on it. And I said, yes, in a second, I'll go in a second. And so my dad says, look, when you get released, I'll be here to pick you up and I'll take you over there. Right. And I said, "Okay, okay, whatever but i but i just knew god had done something in that courtroom so they they take me over back to the holding tank to take you back to the jail because it takes about eight ten hours to out process and so i'm in this holding tank underneath the courthouse and i'm just trying to process everything that happened this is 22 probably 22 days i've been in jail at this point of the 23 and i got this pocket new testament and i have it opened to titus and i'm like reading it again and i'm like crying and i'm like giggling like what just happened and I look up, and that dark-skinned man that was in front of me earlier was sitting across from me, and there was a Hispanic dude on either side of him, and I look around in this holding tank, and there's nobody else in there, and, um, he looks at me, and he looks at the Bible in my hands, and he looks at me, and he goes, that's a really good book, and, um, I said, man, it sure is. You know, I said, it sure is. And I had like, kind of like I got tears in my eyes now. I was starting to get like teary eyed. And I said, I don't know what made me ask this question. I said, what is it that you do? And he looks at me and he goes, well, what I do is I go find the ones that are lost and make sure they get home safe. Wow,
0: Just like that truck had said.
1: You just like the truck. That's right. And I just just was crying. I'm like,
0: who is this?
1: Like, what is going on? And um, you know, I don't. I know the Bible well now. I didn't know it then, but I didn't know Matthew. Matthew gets Matthew eighteen twelve. It says, "What do you think? Which one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one, won't leave the ninety nine to go find the one lost sheep?" And um, you know. I had been trying to read the tattoos on his arms the whole time and I just had this like light bulb moment and you know I didn't know this story either then but if you ever read the story of like when they're on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion and like Jesus in front of them as soon as they realize that it's him he's like gone you know what I mean and so like right then I'm like man who is this dude right then the guard comes to the door and says and points at him and says come on wow. and he stands up real slow and um his arms froze like this his two fists were touching where i could read his forearms the tattoos and his tattoo said save all bar none and he left and i just didn't i didn't know what it was at the time i was just like i knew something crazy happened right but i didn't know what that was like i said and i said man what is that and i'm just crying and so they take me back over to the harris county jail and and, it, and I'm waiting to go, and it should have been like I should have been called ATW. That means all the way. It means you're getting released. You can out-process. And it had been like eight hours, and nothing had happened. And then all of a sudden, I hear, church call, church call, church call. And there's this light bulb. Man, you didn't go to church while you were in here. Maybe you should go to church. Maybe God wants you to go to church. Maybe that's why you haven't got released yet. And so I, I said, okay. So I went. I get in this room and there's this big white preacher and he's a big swole dude and there's about 30 of us in there in this tight little classroom and he starts talking about our sin nature and our spirit man and he's just preaching and then all of a sudden he stops right in the middle of of, of his mid-sentence and he goes, you know, we're doing this thing with meth addicts. It's called divine intervention and he got his face like nose to nose with me and I just started crying it's like god like god was just doing everything he could to get my attention you know everything so my dad is there the next morning really gets me picked up and i go to my dad's house and i'm and I and he says you know what my wife is out of the country he goes you can come stay at my house and i'll take you to man house the next morning and i said okay and so i'm in this house and um never i haven't slept under my my dad's roof since i was a kid it, this is a different house but just the idea of sleeping under my dad's roof so that never had happened in like 21 years and so i'm there and i'm in this bedroom fixing to go to bed and my dad is on the couch sitting down but he sleeps he's sleep at me so he sleeps like this sitting up and i feel this i feel love come into the room where i'm at and I was talking to the phone with my sister and I was giggling. She goes, What is going on? I was telling her where I was fixing to go to rehab or whatever. And I don't I said, I don't know, but I just felt this love come in the room. And I just started giggling. I felt this love that God had this love for me. And it felt better than any drug I ever felt, ever. And um, and it was like a switch that flipped, and then I felt like this fear come upon me like this holiness like god's like isaiah six woe is me i'm a man of unclean lips like i felt that fear of the lord and it just like a switch flipped and it scared me to death and so like i was about to run i went up and i tried to wake my dad up i said dad i gotta go for a walk i gotta go for a walk and he goes run he you know he was asleep he just didn't even open his eyes he goes just stay on the path that's lit and you'll be okay and i walked out the front door. that's what he said that's what he said wow and i and and I and I walked out of this neighborhood. I'd never been in this neighborhood before, and I come to a dead end road. And there's these big signs like "Don't go this way," like "Do not enter." And there's a forest back there. And I was about to take off running, like that way, that way. And I crossed it. As soon as I crossed it, this deer came out of nowhere and ran right in front of me. I'm telling you, am <laughs> not
0: make this step up. I, I'm and not I, making. it up. I know. And all I'm thinking is like how hard God is fighting for you. Like oh, 100%. that's what I'm seeing in all this. It's so cool. Like you said, He leaves the 99 for the one. Yeah, and He goes hard after us man okay so this deer jumps knocks out knocks
1: me down and i have this thought i'm like i'm not going that way and so i said man let me wow. listen to what my dad said Stay on the <laughs> and, path that's lit. yeah so i walked to this road and i lo- and i'm lost i don't know where to get back to my dad's house you know there's something there too but i said uh i said out loud i said i, I come to this road and i go i don't know how to get back home i said it out loud like that and then right then one car comes And the blinker's left blinker goes on. And it was like a light bulb, like, oh, go left. So I said, oh, left. That's where I'm going to go. And I take a step to go left. And right when I take the step, I look down, and there's a bag of drugs at my feet. Wow. And I said, what is this? I never turned down drugs ever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I reached down. I looked at it. And I just laughed, and I threw it down, and I walked back to my dad's house. And wow. I tell you what, like I went home and I slept that night at my dad's house. Next morning we get up, and he takes me 20 minutes from Katie over to Brookshire, and uh, never heard of this town before. And I said I pulled up on the White Rocks at Manor House. I get out of the car, and as soon as I set my feet down, it's like I stopped running. And I stopped running. Like it was like it's like I made it. Like I didn't have to. I didn't have to run anymore you know I didn't have to run anymore and so I, as soon as i got out i just felt like yeah, I, the, bat, the that battle was over like i don't i, I never had a, 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 a desire for drugs ever again and i i spent 8 months at Manor House in this town i never heard of and i just got to know god i fell in love with jesus i read his word every day and he would just show me these woundings in my heart he, he walked me out a path of forgiveness with my father. father's the first thing he showed me is I had to forgive him, you know, and him and I have a good relationship today He showed me that that fatherless piece was such a big wound He showed me that this stuff that happened to me as a kid with this girl I was in daycare with opened the door to sexual morality. He showed me how I was scared of the dark because of some trauma I had it when I was exposed to horror movies and masks and Haunted houses when I was a kid and it really literally made me scared of the dark It made me I, I hate masks to this day. I hate falseness. I hate Like, all sorts of stuff. He would just weave it all together why I was, like, making these decisions, you know. And finally got made peace with my mom's death after, like, 11 years, you know. Like, one day it was just time for me to make peace with it, you know. And, like, God did something crazy that day that really gave me a supernatural peace about my mom's death. And I used to go to the cemetery all the time. I don't think I've ever been back since because I'm like, man, my mom's not there. I don't need to go, like... And so I get to know God's word eight months at man house and it's just like every day is like a roller coaster Some days I want to take off running, but I just purposed in my heart. I'm not running no more, you know And so I felt this call of God and I said god Like I saw the word says, you know, your life is not your own. You're bought with a price And I said, okay, god i'm yours whatever you want me to do And in my mind i'm thinking i'm going to seminary or something because that's what you think about american church so pretty much right after I prayed that prayer, I opened the Bible into Jeremiah 29. It said, pray for the city where I sent you into exile, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. And I said, man, I'm in exile in Brookshire, Texas. I never heard of this town. I guess you're keeping me here. And so I said, okay, I guess I'm staying in Brookshire. And a week later, I met a dude named Trey Nine who was a Christian rap artist that had, been, uh, that had came out here to do an outreach called Hip Hop Hope. In response to two suicides and a bunch of overdoses in the school with the drugs, right? In a community that is very much fatherless, you know. And he's using Christian hip-hop, which I didn't even know there was such a thing to reach these kids. But I was always a huge hip-hop head, man. I grew up on the southwest side. That's all I jammed. I used to get made fun of when I was a kid, you know, by everybody. Because how much I like hip-hop and everything, you know. And so so I start showing up at Hip-Hop Hope Weekly Outreach every Thursday. Just setting up sound. And a couple weeks later, Trey Nine just said, hey, you know what, Ryan? He goes, uh, we rented a little house here in Brookshire. I really want to see Hip Hop Hope start in other, in other neighborhoods across Houston. And he goes, uh, we've been praying that God would send a missionary to this house, to live in this house, to catalyze movement here in this community. And he goes, I think you're him. And I said, Yeah, I'm him. God told me I'm staying in this town. And so eight months sober, man. I, I moved into that house, had a f- house I didn't have to pay rent for. I was shoveling horse poop six days a week to be able to buy my groceries. I've sixty dollars a week I would make to buy my groceries. And for two years I did that. We were working with kids and, and and working working here. And God said, You know what? I wanna transform Brookshire, Texas. This town's very racially divided. I always grew up very multicultural. Um It's fatherless Father Fatherless was my biggest root You know Um And uh The church is very much Very divided here It's very internal There's a lot of drugs You know A lot of broken families And it's probably not Ununique or whatever To other neighborhoods But I just know Here This is where God called me And so and so God has used those things to address all that. And God said, "Hey, believe in for a community center." And we were meeting at this little house. We'd throw concerts on the porch. We baptize people in the horse trough. We do outreach around town. And I said, "We said okay." And um, for three years, we walked out a path, um, looking for a community center, raised a little bit of money, put it in the bank, and one day. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, I walked into conversation at Manor House. I do devotion with those guys every week. I actually did it this morning, but this was on a Thursday morning. I left and I went over and I walked out of the Man House, left devotion, walked into their little coffee shop. And there's a guy in there getting coffee. And right when I walk in, it was like a dream. I hear the words right out of his mouth. What's going on in Brookshire? To Larry behind the counter. And Larry, like, like on cue, points to me and says, you need to ask him right there. And so this guy asked me, he goes, so tell me what, what's going on. I said, well, we reach out to kids, doing this and that. And he goes, where do you meet? And I said, man, we'll meet wherever. He goes, you ever thought about using this old school in Brookshire Gardens? And I said, well, yeah, the city had the lease. We wanted to use it one night a week for Hip Hop Hope, but they want to charge us a couple of hundred of dollars. So we're small nonprofit. We can't do that. And he goes, oh, you don't have to worry about that. And he goes, I own that building. And I said, "Well, sir, you're not going to believe this, but we believe God has given us a vision for a community center. I mean, we had pictures, we did a fundraiser for it, and everything." I said, "I said we believe God has given us a vision for a community center um, for this town, and and that place would be ideal." And he goes, "Ryan, you got a card?" I said, "Yes, sir." And um, he goes, "We're going to make that happen." So he gave us five and a half acres. We pay a dollar a year. We take in this old school. It's the old gymnasium is the main building. We got three buildings here and we've turned the old school. It was a school called Ralph Bunch before desegregation. It was the African-American school. And we've taken this thing and remodeled it. And now it's the Hangar Unity Center, a place where life takes flight, because it kind of looks like an airplane hangar. And so we we just believe God is writing a story of community transformation in Brookshire, Texas, and we are just one of the pieces that he's using. And we just believe he wants to change this small town. He wants to put it into dead religion. He wants to heal racial wounds, of which there are many. This was an old slave dumping ground after the emancipation of the slaves. Waller County, where we're at, had the third most lynchings um, in the state of Texas from the end of Reconstruction to 1950. and uh, and so there's a lot of those old roots here, you know, and so God is just using us um, and he just keeps doing amazing things. We do sports programs, trade programs, mentorship programs, outreach, food distributions. And um, and we just I just know that I'm just really humbled that that he came and rescued me on my darkest day and has given me purpose and had a plan for me. Like I said, I've been married five years. i got a beautiful wife, Rebecca. We have three baby girls. And see, I always wanted to be a dad, you know, but I always thought I was going to be a meth addict. And now not only do I have my family, but I just have a group of kids here that we work with and love on. And I just want them to know that God has designed them with purpose. And, um... That they don't have to be a product of their environment. They don't have to be a victim to circumstance. The word says, with God, all things are possible. So if you put him first, just like Sanchez told me, if you put him first, there's no limit to what he can do with you. And so, um, man, that's just kind of my story. And um, really, man, I I pinch myself because I just show up every day and pray and God does stuff, you know?
0: Wow. Wow. I'm blown away. That's incredible. It's nuts. Thank you for sharing. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry that was long.
0: No, you don't need to say sorry at all. I love everything that God did in your life and the detail, and that you remember the detail,
1: because God's
0: in the detail. And I love that this place, we're sitting here in the hangar today, is called the Unity Center after it was a a segregated school. And now it's the Unity Center. I know you have purpose in that.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And uh just like how i keep thinking about the scripture you mentioned god goes leaves the 99 to go after the 1 and that's yeah. what he did for you and yeah. you're like a father to so many here yeah that's incredible
1: he he just he his word is true his word is true you know and so you know i just go to it now if i have any doubts i just got to always take my mind back there for a split second you know and just remember how dark it was and how he just got, you know, how he just really came and rescued me, you know?
0: So you really feel like you are totally free from...
1: 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I know that's part, part of what he called me to do. Like, he wants me, like, those boundaries my family put in were so great for me. Like, it got really dark, but Jesus was at the bo- bottom of it, you know? And mm-hmm. that's all I needed, you know? That's He's all I needed. And so my... I know, I want I don't want anybody to walk inhibited, I don't want them to walk with a crutch, I want them to walk completely free in Christ, you know. And so, I, I believe He wants that for this town, He doesn't want us, you know, bound down to some old mind frame or some old history or some old family curse or whatever. Like, He wants all of us to run in uninhibited, in complete and total freedom, so we can walk in the full purpose of what He has. So, I, I that's I know that's part of why you put me on here is to help people do that, yeah, you know, and help this community do that.
0: Yeah, and freed you Mm -hmm. and healed you from all the wounds of the past, so you could help free other people and truly, truly understand because you've been there.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's just it. The only way it happens is complete and total surrender. Complete and total surrender. You got to be 10 toes down. You cannot half step it with Jesus. Like it's torment if you do. Yeah. You got to go completely all in. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Thank you, Ryan, for sharing. Hey,
1: yeah. Anytime, all glory to God.
0: If anyone wants to volunteer with Eyes on Me or out here at the Hangar, is that an option?
1: Sure, sure. You can go to any of our Facebook or Instagram pages Eyes on Me, Inc. Is the uh, the overarching nonprofit? You know, we're in four other neighborhoods right now: um, Fifth Ward, Sunnyside, Greens Point, and Forum Park, which is in A-Leaf, and then here in Brookshire, Texas. So you can go to Eyes on Me Inc. or you can go to um, the Hanger's Facebook or Instagram pages, the Hanger Brookshire, and it's it's the Hanger like airplane hanger in Brookshire, but everybody here says Brookshire. And um, man, come get involved. We believe God is gonna. Um, He's going to help us to raise up backyard missionaries to deploy to other inner city communities um, around Houston and across the country. And and so we really want to to see a model like when I started here as a missionary. That's what we use in other communities. We want people to live in these communities, be incarnational, become part of the fabric of the community, and raise up indigenous leaders to um, share the gospel, multiply disciples, and um, pursue community transformation.
0: So you have a lot of vision and dreams for the future with with the people in your community. Hundred percent. Yeah,
1: I want to see jobs. I want to see businesses started up. I, I hope we get to the point where we can help people become first time home buyers. Yeah, that we can help build their houses and that we can attack some of the poverty stuff that happens. Um, with that, you know, home ownership is a big thing. I, you know, missions overseas, one of the biggest principles where you see missions grow is the work being done by indigenous leaders. And a lot of it is pushed through sports. A lot of it is pushed through startup of independent, reproducible businesses. So I'd like to see that aspect come here as well. Help us people become business owners that they can push kingdom through. And um you know.
0: So this takes donors, too, right?
1: Oh, 100%, 100%. So people can donate
0: on that website as well. Yep,
1: yep. Or if you want to come get with us and just come, man, come put your feet on the ground here, man. You'll feel the presence of God. I'm not trying to be corny or hokey when I say that, but you'll know that God is at work when you come here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you definitely do. I'll put all of the links to those websites in the show notes too. Score. Thank you, Ryan. Hey, thank hey, you for the opportunity. Yeah, what I told you I like to ask all my guests the last kind of fun question at the end is if you could sit down with anyone from the past or present and hear their God stories, who would it be and why?
1: Jeez, I know I thought about this a little bit. And so, you know, I have to go to the Bible, I guess. Um, uh, you know, Peter, I always identify with Peter a lot just because of his heart change, you know, um, Peter, Jonah, Apostle Paul, I think all three of those, um, I I I find myself in their story a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I would definitely, if I could sit those three guys down. And then there's a guy that was a missionary named George Mueller.
0: Oh, yeah. um, I've heard of him. Yeah,
1: that started orphanages. And I always kind of, when I've read about him some, I've always kind of identified with him a little bit too. So I think that would probably be my my foursome. That's incredible. yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: all of those. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan. Hey,
1: thank you so much.
0: Friends, thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love if you could share it with a friend. If you could give a rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast, that would be amazing. That way, when other friends come across it, they know to listen too. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at God Stories with Cassie. Love you guys so much. Have a
1: great day.